This is a Voice It podcast. I'm KLG and each episode I'll bring to you different stories from business people across the UK on It's Your Business. Everyone has a story to tell. Why not voice it? Voiceitpodcastagency.co.uk In this series, we deliberately use equipment that you might already have in your business, ensuring that you have the opportunity to make your very own business podcast. More about that on my website. Hello and welcome to this episode of It's Your Business with me, KLG. And in my studio today, I have Nikki Hesford. Nikki's from the Small Business Academy. Well, I heard Nikki speak at a business network and she was talking about from supporting boobs to supporting business. And I thought, what a great story that is. And it was a great story. And I wanted you guys to listen to it. So welcome, Nikki. Hello. And we're just going to dive straight in to, first of all, you run the Small Business Academy. Just tell us what that is before we leap backwards in time. Yeah, the Small Business Academy is a business support hub supporting anybody from startups right up to growth businesses with things like mentoring, coaching, marketing, training. We deliver a number of government programs like the Department for Education, business support. So basically anything that a business needs from um, starting out to scaling up, we try and help them. Now, that's not where you started. And this is where it's quite intriguing. What was your first business? So my first business was bras, um, bras for big boobs. And that came about when I was in my third year at university. And people always say, oh, did you do fashion at university? It's the first thing people always say. And the answer is, is no, I did English literature. And I was going to become even more randomly a mortgage advisor. That's what I was going to go into. And as I was going for interviews and getting ready to, you know, go for interviews after I finished university, I couldn't find clothes that fit for a side eight sort of double D E cup woman. So I found... Bravissimo online, which was lovely, um, but perhaps more for my mom or my nan rather than for a you know, 19, 20-year-old girl. And so yeah, it, was, it was kind of born from there, really, from a, from a need. Um, so it started off with clothing and moved into lingerie and swimwear for big boob women. So you had an e-commerce business. And how did you find running that? And it kind of snowballed really quickly. So it started off with one shirt in three colours, because uh, that's all I could afford to manufacture. As they sold out, it became four colours and it became another style and it grew and grew and grew. As the money came in, it was invested into expanding the range. Before we knew it, we had inquiries from House of Fraser, ASOS, um, you know, national retailers. So then we started wholesaling it and it kind of just snowballed from there. And then obviously, um, as some people know, I was a non-dragon stand back in 2010 to get investment for the business. But predominantly towards, you know, e-commerce was obviously where what people know us for some people don't even realize we actually sold into the high street because e-commerce is obviously what people recognize so you mentioned dragon's den there so how did that come about how did you how did you get to go on dragon's den um at the end of a show they'll often say you know we're now taking applications for the new series and so you go well you know nothing ventured nothing gained i'll stick in an application and, and i thought no more of it really um and it was about 11 months before anybody contacted me. So I just assumed that I was in a big pile of rejects and, and thought no more of it. And then I got a phone call out of the blue from a producer saying, can I do a screen test? Can they have an interview? And before I knew it, I'd been shortlisted and I had a date to come in and film Dragon's Den, which was like 10 days later. So it all it goes very, very slowly. And then it goes very, very quickly. So um, 
yeah, that was kind of a bolt out of the blue. But for me, it was important to, um, I've kind of reached the peak of where I could get on my own, but I also wanted that exposure as well. Because I knew that millions of women on TV watching this would go, oh, I need that. What's the name of that website? And they would suddenly then come and visit the website. I could then retarget them. And um, so I knew that even if I didn't get any investment, I would that awareness and that exposure was worth, you know, tens of thousands of pounds of advertising. Absolutely. Genius, really, because going in there knowing that, do you know what, even if I don't get, I am getting something from it is, I mean, that's a great strategy in itself. But you did get invested in, didn't you? Um, not from the dead, no. I got £250,000 of the private investment from private investors after the show had aired. Right. They'd seen you and wanted to invest. Not necessarily, no. Uh, after it had aired, I'm st- I was then looking for investment. Um, and so it was, it, the two are kind of mutually exclusive, really. Um, but it does help when you contact investments and VCs and say, oh, by the way, I'm going to be on Dragon's Den next week, but I am also looking for investment or I was on it a couple of weeks ago. Straight away, you're separated from the other 100,000 emails they've had that month from people wanting investment. So, you know, they know that you've gone through that due diligence. They know that you've been um, sort of vetted, that, you know, et cetera. So you just, you just get a few more steps along in the process and, you know, you've more chance of somebody getting back to you, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So how long did you run the e-commerce business? And yeah, you went into the high street, but how long were you doing the, the boobs, if you will? Started that in 2008 um, as I was coming into my third year at um, Lancaster University. And then I exited um, just at the beginning of January 2015 after I had my little boy. So I had uh, my youngest, who's now just turned nine, um, in December 2014. And then it was shortly after that that we parted ways from my business. So why did that happen? Why did you part ways from the business? Had you taken as far as you could come? Were you sick of it? What happened? A few different things, really. Um Obviously, I'd had my little boy and I'd separated from my husband during that pregnancy. So I was in the position where I was, I knew I was going to have a newborn baby arrive in any moment now, plus the 10 year old that I already had. I was on my own. I'd left the marital home and I suddenly had, you know, sort of 12 staff, investors, a premises, a factory. I thought, oh my goodness me, how how am I ever going to be able to manage this? Um, And we did look at selling the company as a going concern as it was. But as you're probably aware, the norm is that the uh, founder or the you know, director will stay on for a period of time on a salary and then there's an exit period. And that's kind of the norm. So that I have that transition, which defeated the object of me wanting to sell it. Because the reason I wanted to sell it was because in four weeks time, I wanted to be at home with a newborn baby. And um, I was having a plantar there in section. So I knew that was also going to inhibit my ability to, to do stuff. Um, and, and some people are aware that the year prior to that, I did have a little boy who died two hours after birth. And my priorities changed quite a lot after that. Previously, prior to that happening, I was always of the view, I'd have the baby, stay at home for four weeks, nursery open at four weeks. Four weeks is the youngest you can send one to nursery. And I would go about four days a week. Um, Mum would have, you know, or grandparents would have them, you know, and and it'd be back to norm, really. After, um, obviously, our our baby passed away, it kind of, I was so grateful to to have a healthy baby. And I felt so lucky that it just didn't seem right to pop him out and stick him in a, you know, stick him in childcare for me to get back to work, um, which might have felt perfectly normal a year or two beforehand. But after that happened, I was like, yes. I've been blessed with a healthy baby after all of this. I'm not just going to shove him in childcare the minute, you know, the minute he's born. Um, so I thought, well, what am I going to do instead? <laughs> because this business needs me. My investors weren't local. They were based down in London. 
they were hands off. They were provided distance advice and guidance and money, obviously, but they weren't in the business. It was very much for me to do. And so it was, it was, you know, very difficult um, to, to, to figure out kind of what to do quickly. But they did, I always say to people now when I'm mentoring, think very carefully about doing a product-based business because I would never run a product-based business ever again because right. it is, it is just so difficult. The money that you have to put in to buy stock, to prototype, to manufacture, um, there's a lot easier ways to make money and a lot less stressful ways to make money. You know, when you've got a big order with the high street and the stress of getting the quality control, the quality assurance, the meeting lead times, getting it out the door, all of these plates that you're spinning, if, one, if a member of staff goes off on sick, who they're the only person who can operate this particular machine or you need them, the whole thing is a big pressure cooker of stress. <laughs> so by the time um, I was due, I was about 36 weeks pregnant with, with Oscar, um, and I was just like, I just don't know how I can, it's so stressful. Everything that I'd loved doing had been slowly kind of taken off me and, and been replaced by jobs I hated. So when I started, I'd loved the marketing, the PR, the going out and landing the high street, you know, you know going in, sealing the deal, you know, get, getting the ASOS order, the House of Phrase order and stuff like that. And bit by bit, as time went on, I became a HR manager, a quality control, like an ops director type yeah. role. And I'm rubbish at that. Hate stuff. Everything that I hate. But it was always of the view of, well, Facebook ads and PR, we can get an agency to do that. There's loads, you know, ten of penny people who can do that. There's not many people who can do what you do, who can, you know, make sure these orders get out and manage the facility and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, my the stuff that I loved became less and less and the stuff that I hated became more and more. So it, that coupled with obviously my impending birth of my new child, I didn't even have the enthusiasm to want to fight for it and to want to try and find a way to make it work because I was, you know, fighting to find a way to make it work to do a job that I was beginning to hate anyway. Yeah. How did that exit then? Do you just go through a process, exit, done? You've nothing to do with it anymore? Yeah, and so we, um, just, we just closed it down. We just liquidated yeah. it. Oh, so, yeah, we sold off. Um, we, we didn't owe anyone anything. There was no debt or anything. So it was quite easy to do. Um, so, yeah, it just got handled and taken care of and dealt with. So what happened next? You've got a newborn at home and you, you're being a mummy. Well, did you suddenly decide it's time to run a business again? Did you not think, oh my God, I don't ever want to do that sort of thing again? Yeah, and so much so that um, I even threw all my awards in the bin. So I've had a cabinet full of um, some really good awards as well, really good trophies. And as I was clearing out the factory and handing it over to the new people and they were like, what do you want to do with these? And I went, stick them in the wheelie bin. I'm never going to run a business ever again because I was just so short of it, the stress of it and what I probably didn't realise at the time was I'd never really actually um, grieved properly. When I had my little boy who passed away, I had him on the Monday and I was back at work on the Wednesday. Oh, I took the Friday off for the funeral and that was it. So, because I didn't know what else to do. I didn't want to sit at home by myself crying. So I was straight back into it, but I probably didn't process it or deal with it maybe as well as what I could have. So I think the whole thing did a mask like a pressure cooker yeah. of just get rid of the whole thing. I don't ever want to see any of it ever again. And um, obviously I really regret throwing those awards away now, but I'd said at the time, well, what good are they to me? I'm, I'm never going to run a business again ever. I don't ever want to. So why would I want to keep the awards? Yeah. If somebody had just been there to you and said, do you know what? I'll just take these for now and keep them. Hindsight's a great thing. So what happened? What was the turning point that said, I'm going to do something again? Well, I was intending to take 12 months maternity, 
But four months in, there was a pivotal moment when I realized that I was arguing with strangers on net mums about whether or not you should put salt in the water when you're boiling potatoes. <laughs> and I thought, this is my life now. This is my life debating how much salt to put in the water when making mashed potato for a weaning child. I need to, I need to get out of this. I need to go back to work. I need to do something with my day. And so I applied for a regular account manager job, um, a local job paid quite well. They gave me the job. Uh, and so uh, my intention would be be a regular employee. So I had a couple of different roles over the next sort of three, four years. And the novelty of that at first, I remember being on a beach in Mexico thinking, can't believe I get paid annual leave. <laughs> and a subsidized canteen and, you know, all this sort of like the novelty of shutting my laptop at five o'clock and whatever storm was happening was somebody else's problem. It was like just to sail off into the sunset and leave it to the directors, leave it to somebody else to deal with, you know, the car crash that was occurring was like, oh, this is amazing. But then the downside to that is that you, you can't implement change and your voice isn't really heard and you might have ideas, but it's above your pay station. You know, you're not there to come up with ideas. You're just there to do the, do the work. And so there came a point where I was like, I think I'm probably ready to do something on my own, but I'm definitely never going to have any premises and I'm definitely never going to have any staff. That was my thought. <laughs> So I said, I'll, I'll be a freelancer, just just on my own at home, you know, no major hassle. I'm not taking on any, any premises. I'm not taking on people. I'm just creating a job for myself with a little bit of flexibility. How far can that be? Nothing bad can happen. Um, so I started doing that, but then I got to full capacity. Well, one employee can't harm, can it? Just one. <laughs> but I hired one person. And then this premises that we're in now, it used to be my son's nursery. And she sadly went out of business. It didn't work out for her. And I was just inquiring one day to a friend, going, I wonder what they're doing with the building now that Charlotte isn't there anymore. And he said, oh, I actually work for the landlords. I do electrics for them. Do you want the number? I said, yeah, go on, then give me his number. And I was almost on autopilot. I could, you know, when you sort of have an out-of-body experience, the next thing I know, I'm on the phone to my <laughs> landlord saying, yes, I'll commit to it for the next 18 months. And I'm agreeing to this, you know, huge two-story, two and a half thousand pound a month building. We're apps as a freelancer with one remote employee that I was about to hire. Think and I think everyone's going to think I've lost the plot. <laughs> building houses, you know, probably about 150 people. Um, but I just knew that I liked it. I knew it used to be my son's nursery, and it's even still got crayon on the walls on in some of the areas that I've deliberately never painted over because I remember him playing in that corner. And so I got a business coach, and I said, John, I said, you'll never guess what I've just done. But in four weeks' time, I've got this building. He said, what, what are you going to do with it? I said, I don't know yet, but I'll figure it out. Well, downstairs, you know, we'll work from downstairs and we'll turn the other half into hot desking and co-working. And so we did. And at the 1st of April, 2019, um, we officially opened. And at first it was just me sat here and a couple of people. And that was hard because when people came to look around this co-working space, they were like, where is everyone? <laughs> and everyone would say to me, let me know when it's a bit busier and, and I'll get a desk. And I'm like, well, if everybody who said they were going to do that, that would get a bit busy. But, you know, a couple of months later, two became five, five became 10. And we got really busy and it was great. Then the pandemic hit and we had to close just as we'd finally figured it all out. We were forced to close. Um, so that was challenging because I was then at home with a five-year-old on my own um, in lockdown, trying to do what I do normally in person online. Yeah. Um, so that was you know, challenging. Um, and then after that, after everything came out from the other side of the pandemic and we were getting back into our stride again, somebody said to me, why don't you bid for this government contract? And it was for £125,000 business support contracts. 
And I thought, well, you know, if five people bid and I'm not the worst person, I've got half a chance of getting one of these four contracts. You know, it's not an enormous contract. So I put a bid in, thinking my chances of getting one of those contracts might be 50-50 if I was lucky, but, you know, it doesn't matter if not. And I couldn't believe it when I'd actually won all four of those contracts and got offered all four. Well, um, Yeah. So everybody said, well, you're not going to take them, are you? You know, I'd be mad. Why you wouldn't take a half a million pound contract for something you've never done before, would you? I was like, oh yeah, of course I would. Um, so yeah, and I just had a gut feeling. I just knew, I knew we could do it. I think I'm probably quite spontaneous, but I'm not impulsive. Um, it might seem impulsive to other people, but I, I know if I'm going to be able to do something or if I can't do something. Yeah. And so I, but other opportunities, people have, have said, what about this? What about that? And I've said, no, I don't think we can do well. I don't think we can achieve it. I'm yeah. not even going to go down that road. But, you know, with the building, I knew that I could fill the building. I knew that I would be able to do it. And with the business support contract, I read, you know, the criteria and specification very carefully. And I said, I believe that we can do this. And so we did. And we delivered it and we succeeded with that. And following on from that, other contracts have, um, you know, come out from that. And so now we have quite a few government contracts in different areas that support businesses and training. And that's kind of the, the majority of what we do now. Really, I think self-belief, the fact that resilience, all of that comes through. And if you can pass that on to other people, I mean, gosh, there's nothing better than that, is there? So a small business academy isn't, isn't that small after all, really, is it? Well, we're still quite small. There's myself and six other members of staff, so there's seven of us in total. So we are still a small business. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it has obviously grown quite quickly from where we were a couple of years ago. Um, and I hope it's going to continue to grow. You know, and I've got I've got quite ambitious plans over the next few years that I hope will materialise. Um, we won at the Bieber's Awards back in September, um, the Small Business Award for less than 10 employees. And that was, uh, a few people said to me, what do you hope for for 2024? And I'm like, I don't know how 2023 can be beaten. Yeah. It was just such an amazing year. So many great things happened. I almost feel greedy and ungrateful to want anything for 2024. I feel like it's, um, you know, give you an inch and you'll take a mile kind of thing. <laughs> I feel like, you know, no, I've had my quota now. Let somebody else, let somebody else's turn. And so, you know, it, hopefully 2024 will be a great year as well. Well, at least you can start building that awards cabinet up again, can't you, with that one last year? Uh, I was there at the Beepers when you won. I was a finalist in a category as well for new business. Um, and it was just, it's such a great award, isn't it, to win? And it is, yeah. Um, and statistically, because I am, I said, I'm quite sort of you know, practical-minded. And so statistically, I'm thinking, well, the chances of me winning are about 12.5% statistically, which means that statistically, I've got an 87.5% chance of not winning. Therefore, you know, on the basis of probability, more, more almost certainly not going to win. So I perhaps rather foolishly drank quite a lot of Prosecco before, before my... <laughs> it didn't help that we were something like the second for last category to be announced, like quite late on in the night. And so you might have seen the video that went around the internet of me, my name being called. You've never seen anybody look quite so shocked. And I sort of stood up and then I had this moment of, I'm drunk. Then I had a moment of, oh my goodness me, this room is filled with people. Am I decent? I've been falling out as, you know, quick sort of check. Then I looked at the steps and I was like, oh no, I've got to make it up there. Step for <laughs> these people. So I met two members of my team, um, Nicola and, and Teresa were like, if you watch any of the videos, they're literally holding me up, up the stairs because I was so frightened of falling down the stairs in front of all those people. But yeah, it's, it was just amazing. It was, and congratulations for that. 
you touched on you have got ambitions you have got plans are you able to give us a sneak peek of what any of them might be yeah no definitely um so obviously we've been focused on those government contracts we recently won a contract with blackpool council which was amazing because obviously we're local to blackpool i'm from blackpool it's on our doorstep to deliver business support for that particular area so if any of them if any of the listeners are from within the blackpool council constituency and they're running a business and they need help you know hit me up get, get in touch with me we deliver the digital boot camp. So that's part of Department for Education. And that's been an amazing, we've really enjoyed doing that contract. So we're hoping to expand on that and maybe do more of those over the next couple of years. Um, but if anyone's been on our website, you might see that we do online courses. And it's never been a big area of focus because I've been so busy delivering these big government contracts that these smaller courses um, have not been neglected as such, but they've not been an area of focus. So over the next year, the expansion plan really is focused on me really focusing on those online courses. Because they're brilliant and they're not, not enough people are getting to see them because I'm just, I'm, I'm not promoting them because um, I'm so busy, I say, with the government contracts. So yeah, I'm, I'm starting to extrapolate myself a little bit out of the day-to-day running of the government contracts to allow me to work more on the bigger picture, yeah, which is that scalability of those online courses, developing more courses, promoting those courses. And at some point in the future, we would like to franchise the Small Business Academy. So um, in co-working spaces around the country. So, you know, like with Regis, where you look on a map and go, where's my nearest Regis office? Oh, there's one 10 miles. Or where's your nearest McDonald's? You know, one day in the future, you might be able to go, oh, I'll drop into a small business academy because I'm in Birmingham. It's the one nearby. Yeah. Oh, I can definitely see you doing that 100%. Co-working, training, mentoring, support, a really nice buzzy hub where you know that you're going to get everything you need in one place. Sounds amazing. And I wish you all the best with that. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Really interesting. Amazing. I think you're a great example for women, younger women looking up and going, look what she's done. I can do that. And I think if you have your resilience and your forward thinking and just go for it attitude, I think a lot of women could take a lot from that and, and do the same, hopefully. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, having that confidence, so many women are capable of so much more than what they think that they are. It's those self-limiting beliefs of, oh, people like me can't do this. I can't do this. It's all people. It's proper business women who do this sort of thing. And there are proper business women, you know, there's no difference to anybody else. We're all just women trying to run a business. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Nikki. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to know more about me or my business or you want to start your very own podcast, contact me at voiceitpodcastagency.co.uk. I'll see you next time.